Hey, what's up? My name is Dusty Otis. I am the lead pastor here at The Grove in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to be a part of this church, to engage in this message, and for supporting our ministry. It means more than you know. None of what we get to do happens without you. I pray that today's message speaks to your heart. I hope that it helps you move forward in your relationship with God, and I hope that you become just a little bit better in following Jesus because you took the time to listen today. Enjoy the message. Good morning. I know you probably don't see me very often online. I am here before we ever establish a stream. So good morning. Welcome to The Grove. We value community here, so I'm sure you could probably hear a little bit of uh, chit-chat going on in the background, which is amazing. You have a very special guest speaker to speak to us this morning. He's actually a member here. We love him very much, and he's very special and dear to us. But I'm going to ask you to do a very warm welcome to Mr. Dennis Murphy. Good morning. That is good. If anybody's wondering, there's a lot of faces in here that aren't normally here on Sunday. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Just for the record, for everybody that knows Pastor Dusty, no, we didn't shrink him. Uh, he is away today, and he has blessed the service and blessed his place more than, more than I even know how to thank him. So um, today is going to be a little bit different than a regular church in that um, my road to get to God was a little bit crazy. Some of you guys know what that story is. Um, my mission is not to make anybody feel sorry or feel uncomfortable, but to let you know that the path that I got to get here was a little bit wild, and yet still I can walk with God and I can change my life through Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, my name is Dennis. I am part of the technical team. I have Ashley in the back. And if you turn around real quick and say hi and thanks to Ashley, she does the slides and helps with the music. And my 12-year-old son is our DJ today. Yeah. <clears throat> that in itself is pretty amazing to me because, you know, I grew up in a Catholic church. I used to walk hand in hand with my grandfather to church, and I was horrified. They would chant and do all kinds of things. It did wonderful things for my relationship with my grandfather. And my parents at some point split up, which is the beginning of this story. And my first memory had to do with alcohol. And it would be a foreshadow into what my life would become. And about the age of five, six years old, my first memory as a child is being at Ocean Beach in San Francisco. <clears throat> I got in a fight with one of the neighbors. I, I won the fight. My mom was horrified. My dad was drunk, and his option for that was handing me a beer. I think I was five, maybe six years old. I slammed that beer. You know, I was proud. I flexed all those little baby muscles, and I thought I was the coolest kid in town. My mom hated my dad from that moment on. I think that was the beginning of the end of their relationship. And unfortunately for me, that was the last time I'd be at church because my mom left him Christmas Eve that year. My dad came in late as always. He'd always go to the bar after work, and he showed up Christmas Eve after everyone had eaten, opened up their presents, and he came stumbling in. He broke the stained glass on the front door. He walked in and screamed at my mom for what would be the last time and asked where his dinner was and where was, you know, where was his stuff and take off my shoes and all these things. And 
lo and behold, there was a cab at the bottom of the steps. My mom was at the bottom of the three tier staircase and I'm standing in the middle. My dad's cursing and screaming at the top. My dad's six foot three, 275 pounds, pretty intimidating guy. And my mom's four foot 11 and a half. She says 11 and a half. I don't know. <clears throat> Little Filipino lady at the bottom of the steps and she's in tears. I'm in the middle. I don't know what to do. And so my mom asked who I want to go with. I ran down the stairs and I never looked back. Um, I didn't know what alcohol was really other than that. It was a reward for something I would do right. Um, my story has changed over the years thanks to a 12-step program that I won't name because of anonymity. It has changed my life immensely. And then turning that into where I am today is just kind of a miracle all on its own. Anyhow, uh, the first slide up there. So from the ghetto to the grove, in time, you know, no church, no God. I just kind of forgot about what it was. It wasn't introduced. I think I was maybe 11, 12 years old when it kind of came back in. And I kept just stuffing stuff under the rug. And I kind of forgot who God was. You know, I walked away. And I just wanted to be loved. You know, that's all I ever wanted. I wanted my dad. I wanted my mom. You never want your parents to split up. You never wanted to be separate. I didn't know what damage had been done. She didn't really, you know, as a good mom, she didn't tell me all the horror stories. I wasn't to find out until much later, but, you know, ultimately um, I was left to my own devices. She worked two, three, four jobs to make ends meet. And she would run into somebody. Um, she ended up marrying a guy that turned out to be a pedophile. Um, so I'm looking around. I got a couple of young ones that wanted to stay in the church and I'll be a little bit cautious of my words today because I know most of the young ones in the back. Um, but just to kind of give you guys the level of what happened as a child, I was definitely physically, sexually, and mentally abused to a stage that was just catastrophic. Um, I was horrified to go to sleep at night. I was going to try not to get emotional. As I got into bed at night, six, seven, eight years old, I would have to barricade myself to the back of the wall so that nobody could get to me anymore. And I think I was about eight years old when I realized that that wasn't okay. I wasn't safe in my home. My kids are safe in my home today. It's not always perfect, but they're safe. They know they can come home. They know they're not going to get hurt. We have some words that are intense at our house. Um, that's all I knew growing up. All I heard was yelling and screaming and fighting. And it's taken a lifetime for me to understand that that's not, that's not the way it has to be. If I can keep my voice at this level, that's great. That's not who I am. I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. I get mad and I can get really funny. That 411 woman that I was talking about, my little mom, was the master of the chest bump, right? It's amazing how a 411 woman can just scare the life out of you. I was more horrified at her than my dad. Back then, we had the phone call. It wasn't the absolute threat, but it was, hey, I'm going to call your dad. And all of a sudden, you got right. You know, back then, not only can your dad beat you, but he can call the neighbors. We didn't have daycare at that time. They would just take care of you on their own. So the neighbors would beat you. And if you didn't act right, then you got beat when you got home. I tried to tell my kids that they, could, they think it's just outlandish that it was that way. It was physical. It was a physical world. And, you know, in my opinion, it's gotten a little weaker for the kids and you know, now there's their no-no square, right, Caleb? And there's all kinds of little words and things they use and threaten of the cops. So I'll call the cops. Well, 
It'll be 28 minutes till they get here. <laughs> what are you going to do for 28 minutes? I got you. If I'm going, I'm going out with a bang, you know. Uh, anyhow, <clears throat> the next slide. Uh, this, this picture up here is of me and the boys. This, this is a few years back. We were actually at a service for my aunt who passed away. And there's quite a bit of that along the way. And the reality is life keeps bringing moments that are just terrorizing and destructive without any alcohol, without any drugs, without the devil running your life. And I have found a way at this place to turn things into a different level with the help of quite a few people. Ashley, can you throw on the next one? So <clears throat> there's a book called Into the Wilderness or Braving the Wilderness. I think it's by Brene Brown. And she says, in the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. <sighs> the only people that I trusted in my life as a kid were my grandfather and my mother. And at some point, I had to stop trusting my mom because she would tell my stepdad all the things to try to get help and backup because I was a knucklehead kid. And the reality is that brought on the beatings. And I couldn't go to school at times. I'd be black and blue. I'd have black eyes. I'd have bloody lips. And at the time, you know, I think there's always been a standard among teachers where they would have to tell somebody what was going on. They knew better to tell that because if they told that and the cops went to my house, I, I couldn't walk for weeks. <clears throat> Anyhow, all I ever wanted was love and understanding. But the truth was I couldn't trust anybody. I forgot who God was. You know, I was really young when I was introduced. And the brutality of life just kept going and just kept building and building. And I think I was 12, just about the age of my young son back there when I started picking up drugs. I had a paper out, and one of our guys gave us some pot, and it just kind of became one of those things that became the norm. Next thing you know, we were drinking. I had a full beard by the time I was 13. I could walk into a liquor store and buy what I wanted. And I didn't know till much later I have an addictive problem and I do everything, like, all the way through. There, there's just no halfway for me. Um, and for years and years, that became a problem. You know, I had taken everything personal. I couldn't trust my mom. I couldn't trust anybody. And I had a tendency to twist the stories and twist my way into the people that were doing the worst things because they understood what I was going through. The weird thing is at the time, it wasn't very common or very knowledgeable to everybody that, you know, most households were the same. I thought I was terminally unique and I thought that that was only happening to me and I was too horrified and embarrassed to tell anybody else what was going on. Um, you know, there's, there was a time where the drugs and the drinking were you know, they had an effect. They changed my mindset. They changed the way I thought. They made me feel strong. They made me feel sexy. They made me feel invincible. And the reality is it was good until it wasn't. And at first the endorphins kick in. It feels good. You know, it kind of does a certain thing for you. It makes you feel strong. It makes you feel all these things that you're not. Um, in time, those endorphins cost more and more. It takes more and more alcohol. It takes more and more drugs. And then the drugs don't even work. And you're doing it just to maintain yourself and to seem or be any bit of normal. And it, it's just not. That's the scariest part. You know, a lot of kids start, they discover, 
they get curious, they pick up something, they party, they try something out and they're done. <clears throat> For me, I thought you were a quitter. You know, Thursday night, Friday night, they wanted to go home. They had to go home. I'm like, what, what's wrong with you people? Like, you know, it's just Sunday. You know, tomorrow's Monday. I went to school lit. I went to school with the flask. I went to, I mean, I just did everything backwards. And that's when the addiction was. And I didn't know for another 10, 15 years how bad that would be. Um, we can go on to that next slide there. <clears throat> do not be misled. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I feel in my heart of hearts that I've always been a good guy that just did a few bad things. Not a bad guy that did a couple good things. Um, if you ask anybody in here, outside of here, my heart is pure. Um, just somewhere along the way, my, my way of thinking got disrupted. And the people that I met and the people that I hung with would back me up on that and make me feel like that was the way and that was the path for me. That's not true. The people that are in here today are what I need. The people that are chasing spirituality, the people that are chasing Jesus are the people that I call my friends and family today. Um, those people, there we go. Those people were bad. Those people were the people that you see on TV crossing borders, bringing things across borders. I was a courier for some really serious people in a really bad place, right, right outside of Oakland, California. From the age of 14 on, I was out of the house, I was kicked out, I was on the streets, which is just amazing to me. Looking at my son, looking at these guys, 10, 11, just babies, just babies still. And I was out on the street. And so <clears throat> I started hustling to make a living and I started meeting the worst people from bottom of the line to the top of the line. And I thought I was everything. You know, I thought I was the bee's knees and everybody else confirmed it. I was trusted, I was loyal. They were loyal to me, I thought. And uh, what happened was, once the drugs and alcohol took over, I ended up on the street. This is an aerial shot of what it turned out to be. Back in the city I used to live in, it's a little suburb outside of Oakland. And the blue area, the tree it's surrounding became my home. Eventually I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't do anything anymore. I couldn't be a father anymore. The drugs just took over. And I ended up losing everything over and over again to the last, you know, I got into the bar scene. I was bartending. I was bouncing at the bar. And eventually I left the bar about three o'clock in the morning, just way too messed up. And I fell asleep at the wheel. I crashed into a few trees. I totaled the car that I was living in and ended up living in that tree. Uh, we can go on to the next slide. I think it's a close up of that tree. You can't see it now. Um, it's called zone number seven. It's a flood zone. And if you go into Denver, if you go into Oregon, you see these encampments everywhere. I, I don't think I've ever been so humbled in my life. Um, at my very worst and my most humbled moment, and I don't know anybody, I know there's a few of you in here that got to that point. You know, the very first time I had to walk into a food bank and ask for food, it's probably the first moment where I was like, what, what did I do? I don't feel like I did something that wrong. I don't feel like I deserve this. And it was absolutely devastating to walk up to that. And you see people around town carrying signs and begging for change and doing things. Have a little mercy. You never know what somebody's going through mentally. And my gosh, that was the most brutal thing in the world. If you're lucky, you get a shower in the creek. You get a shower at the church at a place like this that allows people like that to come in and get coffee, get warm. 
Pastor Dusty let somebody in. Gosh, I think it was maybe a month ago, right? You were in here and his dad <clears throat> came in to open the door and somebody was sleeping on the doorway. And instead of kicking him out and being rude, he woke him up and asked him if he needed coffee. The guy asked for an ambulance because he needed, he needed help. Uh, and that's what we do here. So anyway, that's how bad it got. Uh, that's a close-up, and it would get worse. It would get much worse before it got better. You know, I forgot how to ask for help. Uh, in this same area underneath the tree, they saw it in the first video. The tents would be about every 10 feet. There's two doors to every tent. If you were lucky enough to be able to walk to path to path, what people would do out there, and this is what happens, you see it on the TV all the time now, they just throw their garbage out of one side of the tent. When it becomes mountain of garbage, they just move the tent 10 feet. So you have these, there it is, you have just these piles and then the tent, and then it just moves and it becomes garbage. Eventually the city comes and cleans it up. We pay for that, right, with our taxes. <clears throat> and you're stepping over needles. You're stepping over bottles. You are living with all kinds of critters and I mean it's just the most god-awful thing <clears throat> and I thought God had forsaken me the reality is I just kind of let go of God so <clears throat> in February 17th 2016 2017 I come to a crossroads and we can go on to the next slide <clears throat> there's a blue line between the train tracks I'm going to take a breath and a little drink of water here. There's a blue line between the train tracks and the tree area. That's Walmart, an overview of Walmart. That's the freeway and the train tracks. It's actually about nine miles on that blue line that we would have to walk. And I'd had it. I'd walked one side of town. I walked to the other, and I'd about given up. I went to go get connected, and the connection wasn't there. So I walked nine miles one way and nine, nine miles the other. My feet were bloody. It was pouring rain. I think we got nine inches in two hours. So I was soaked from head to toe. There's blood literally coming up my socks at that point. And I sat down on that train track that is kind of, I think it's highlighted on there. You can see that train track. This is crazy to me. <clears throat> I sat right here on this train track with a gun in my hand and I was done. I didn't want to live anymore. I'd had it. I didn't know what to do. At that point, the mother of my children had moved four hours away. My responsibilities were gone, and I couldn't find a reason to live anymore. It just was too tough for me. And I sat there, and that was the first time I prayed. God, please, if, if you're there, I need you right now. And I'm sitting there with a the gun. <clears throat> it was cocked, ready to go. I was just done. I had it. Please, God. If you're there, give me a sign. Give me help. I need, I need something. And what I heard was click, 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 click. And about 19 officers had surrounded me. And they, they saved my life. <clears throat> I couldn't stop on my own. And for those of you in here that suffer from addiction or anything or mental issues, there is help out there if you want help. As I look around the room, there's about 25 people in here that will go to the ends of the earth. All you have to do is ask somebody. Um, if you're here for the first time after church, come see me and we'll get you hooked up with somebody. There is help in every single direction. Um, 
that day I got arrested. I had some petty warrants, some silly things that would get me in jail for about six months. That was the first time I ever lived in a gated community. <laughs> I had made it. <laughs> Bracelets, silver, everything. Yeah. The, the truth is it, it saved my life. Um, I know many of you have never been there and God forbid you, you do something to get there. It doesn't take much. One or two bad decisions and you could be there. But that was the first time I got food. That was the first time I got rest. That was the first time I had a little bit of, sadly, something normal. And the ability to start thinking again and having you know, a little bit of consistency, a, sh a shower, the food, everything kind of came in. And <clears throat> it was during that time and that stay that I was calling my ex-wife Collect and my son back there, Caleb, in the middle of the phone call says, Dad, I need you. You know, mom mom can't stop drinking. And I, I need you back. I don't know what changed or what clicked in me other than the fact that I had just enough rest to start thinking like I was, right? I was never a fad dad. I just kind of, you know, when you're addicted, those things become First, you know, you lose God, you lose everything. And the next thing you know, that's all you've got. So anybody that knows my kids are everything. My other son's in the back. You know, I watched their lives today. And this is how I know I'm doing okay. Right? I know God's working in my life. <clears throat> I see it in Nathan, my teeny bopper back there in his relationship. By the way, he cares and loves and the way that there is safety and their friendship, they're inseparable. It's, it's, it's adorable. It's definitely showing that we're in the right path. Caleb doesn't know this, <clears throat> but I have eyes on him everywhere, right? I'm from the streets. Don't think they're going to get away with anything, right? Don't think, don't let the clothes fall. I'm, I'm, I'm old school. So anyway, I got eyes on him. <clears throat> and a few weeks back, maybe a month or two ago, there's a little gas station across the street from us, and the girls are just in love with him, right? He's just a sweetheart. He goes over there, he gets his slurpees, he gets his things, and every once in a while, he'll do something for chores. He'll get money for Christmas, and somebody in there didn't have money but wanted a candy bar, chips, and a drink or something like that, and they didn't have their money on him. And without hesitation, Caleb pulled out his money, and he's like, I'll pay for that. He's 12. I just think it's the most amazing thing. <clears throat> I almost gave all of that up. The truth is I didn't have the courage to pull the trigger. And God wasn't done with me yet. <clears throat> all right. So I got arrested. Um, I got released, I think, six months after into a clean and sober house that ended up being a trap house. <clears throat> the manager of the house was selling drugs. He was fronting money to the people that lived there. And one day he opened up his back seat and bottles and bottles of alcohol just came spilling out. And there was no way I was going to make it there. And again, I got provided for and I got a management position. I called the, the owner of the house and immediately that day I became manager of the house, tried to clear it out. Um, some of the people there were, <clears throat> they were definitely doing bad things. In fact, one of them OD'd in the house. If I backtracked to those tracks, that year four people got murdered out there in the same tree area that we were living in. 
two people got stabbed, three people got raped. And to this day, I can count dozens of people that that's happened to. And if I hadn't gotten out of there, who knows what it would be. All right, so let's go First Corinthians. <clears throat> All right, so, but remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you do, and no temptation is irresistible. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it, for he has promised this and will do what he says, and he will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. It was going to take time. It was going to take a lot of time. I started going to this 12-step group out there that taught me how to talk and walk again. Somebody in the rooms got me a job, had a little bit of faith in me until I could have it. You know, in our program, it's kind of fake it till you make it. And I, it needed baby steps. I was, I was so broken. And I was lucky enough to have some people in there that had been through the same thing. And that's the whole common goal here. There are so many other people that walk through this that are here to hold your hand until you're ready. When you're ready for God at whatever level you are, that's okay. Um, I was not ready yet. And the 12-step program, you know, you're taught to find a higher power, and it saved my life. But also, it was questionable, and it wasn't enough for me to just kind of count on the thing. At first, it was the group. It was a thing. It was a decision. Ultimately, I needed, I needed God. I needed something that I knew that was there that's been proven and true and that I can rely on. And it has taken years to do that. And right here in this place is kind of where it began. So here we go, Elizabeth. <clears throat> On November 28th of 2021, Elizabeth stood right here and gave her testimony. I think it might have been Nick that invited me here. Just one, one of you guys invited me here to hear her story. Everybody came in support because anybody that doesn't know Elizabeth, she does wonders for this community and for this church, and for all kinds of women out there. Um, she has started her own ministry, and it's just a blessing. And the fact that they allowed somebody that had come from my kind of life up here and let her speak her word, and let her speak her truth, and her testimony, I just thought that was the most powerful thing because I thought that I had done too much to deserve God. You know, I thought I wasn't good enough, and I thought I'd gone too far. That day, I sat in the back you know, I'm a tough guy, right? I was crying so hard back there because they allowed somebody like us to come in here. There's, there's help. Like I said, there's always help. Uh, April 16th, the following year, I sat in the back in the cold tank. Turns out they had a heater the whole time. They didn't bring it out that year, right? So cold. <clears throat> the heater was in the closet the whole time. I got baptized uh, last Easter here at church. Um, and it was also Elizabeth that came out and told me that uh, you know, the devil's coming for you. You commit to something like God. And all of a sudden, everything's going to get rough for a little bit. Everything's going to question you, right? He doesn't want you to do well. He doesn't want you to have a relationship with God. And that's the story that happened all the way along. Whew. All right, the next week, I sat down. There was a transition in. Um, Pastor Robert, who's now retired, was here, and we heard of this Pastor Dusty guy coming in, and 
I met him for the first time, actually, I believe right after your testimony, we sat in the back of the church and somebody, I'm not sure which one of you rascals it was, told him that I'm a music guy. And he said, I need somebody in the back to run the slides and do the music. And I said, listen, <clears throat> I'm surprised I didn't get struck by lightning when I walked in today. And I don't think I'm ready. And I don't think I deserve God or to be in a house like this on a regular basis. I'm just not ready for it. And he said, okay. And he said, he asked why. And I told him that, you know, the very man that abused me sexually, physically, mentally would be the same guy that would pick up a Bible and show me scriptures on why I should forgive him. And then post them up in my room in little pieces of paper. He'd tear out pieces of that Bible and print them up there. And that was still my thought of God. So I thought, I thought it was over, which is just horrible. But I know when I look around, I'm not alone, right? If I were to ask you to raise your hands, if you've ever been abused, I guarantee you there's not going to be a hand not raised in this house. I won't ask you to do that. It became glaringly obvious that I needed help. And he sat there and he put his hand on my shoulder and he prayed for me. And I said, I'll give it a shot. <clears throat> I haven't left yet. In here, all walks of life are welcome. We don't yes. care where you are with God. Wherever you are is okay. If you just know his name, that's fine. If you want a relationship, that's great. If you want an unbelievable miracle, continue to work on that relationship. And I, I know for me, my life has never been so good. I've never been so pure of my heart. I've never been so comforted by the fact that I'm, I'm not alone. I used to try to fill that hole with people, with relationships, with everything else. Turns out my whole life, there was just a spiritual gap that was missing, right? My way of thinking had been twisted. There was just a hole. I wanted it filled. I wanted you to love me. I wanted you to cherish me. I wanted you to honor me. And the thing that was missing is I didn't do that with God. And I didn't do that for myself. I didn't love myself. It took me a long time to get to know that. You know, my self-esteem had been all the way down and my ego was through the roof. And with the help of Dusty, you guys may not know this, we meet every Tuesday. Um, and then for hours, Sunday before you get here, all the work that gets done before here, we spend hours and hours weekly together in this church. And slowly but surely, he has just let me go in my faith where it is. And every week we bring up a scripture. We have calls. We have on Marco Polo. We have our own little communication where life has become connected in ways I didn't know were possible. It's just absolutely amazing. <clears throat> Anybody, any walk of life is welcome here. And that's what I like about this place. All right, so Romans 3, 5. Nobody's perfect. We all fall short of reaching God's standard. Yet we are saved and set right by his free gift of grace through the redemption available only in his son, Jesus. At Dusty Call's chair time, his most valuable time in the mornings, he sits down in his basement with his Bible and his worship on. And I've begun to do the same thing. It's usually in my car because I feel a little bit funny talking to myself. And slowly but surely, I'm building that relationship back. And the people that truly love me let me grow in my relationship. Some of them are here. Some of them aren't church people. But they get it. That's who are loyal to me now. There are at least 20 people in here. I know I can call it any time of day, any time at night. 
It will be at my house in a second. I can trust them with my kids. They trust me with theirs. I have the keys to two churches now. That's just insanity to me. <clears throat> I, I'm definitely not a pastor. I'm definitely from the streets, but I can tell you that my relationship with God has changed my life. Um, and it's growing. It's tender. It's very tender. I still have, I still have anger. I still have some screaming moments in my car, and that's okay. The funny thing is, you know, you have comedians, you have people kind of make up this funny voice or a funny tone. Now I just talk to them just like I'm talking now. You know, it started off with just thank you. That's all I could say. Just, just thank you. Unless I was looking at a scripture or looking at something, I could read it and I can say prayers off a piece of paper, but I couldn't memorize anything. My brain was shot. I'm, I'm lucky to have the ability to be able to be up here and talk today. And it went from thank you to actual prayers, to actual conversations. In my prayer time in the car, Elena has shared Stephen Furtick with me. Pastor Dusty's a little on the fence with Stephen Furtick because, you know, it's competition. <laughs> it's not competition. <clears throat> same thing, same guy. It's just a vessel that God's speaking through, yes. right? It's yes. not the person. It's not the building. It's not the car, right? It, it's in here. And so it doesn't matter where I am anymore. Exchanging those podcasts of something positive, we won't talk about what used to be on my search engines or anything like that in church today, but now it's all podcast, it's all church, it's all God. Elena's mom sent me some 1970s gospel music the other day. I'm like, is that the Doobie Brothers? And she's like, ha ha, funny boy. Uh, <laughs> When I was on the wrong side of the street, everything was backwards. And I was connected with everybody that was dangerous, everybody that had a connection, everybody that had something to give me. And if not, I had nothing to do with you. I wanted nothing to do with you. And now all my connections are spiritual in some way or another on every plane. And it's just amazing what's happening. Um, and again, like I said at the beginning, it wasn't about coming in here to make you feel sorry or anything. But if you need help or if you're not sure where you are in your relationship with God, there's so many people in here that are willing to help. And after church, we can talk about that all you want. Um, and I'll close with this. My relationship with the kids, my relationship with God, my relationship with Lena, and so many of you in here doesn't come easy for me all the time. I still have doubts. I still have pain in my heart. But I've been gifted with a conversation with God every morning and every night. I've been gifted with friends that understand the world that I came in. And they allow me to grow safely and positively in a world that's just corrupt. I keep my circle small. I believe that in God, I cannot fail as long as I keep that relationship going. Pastor Dusty and his family, his kids have been an inspiration for me. Victoria's in the back taking care of your children right now. If I ask my kid quotes of the Bible, he'll spin them out at random. It's the most amazing thing from where I came from to where I am today. And it's due largely to most of you guys being patient and kind to me while I was healing and growing. And it's still happening. I'm still in pain. But I have tools to deal with that today. 
I now don't have to feel alone in a room. I've got Jesus with me every time, right? If I start there, I can't go wrong. I don't have to be alone anymore. I don't have to need to get that from a relationship. I don't have to get it from anybody. I don't feel abandoned like I used to. I can feel abandoned really quick because it's really easy for me to just not look at this or not go through this and think that it's just me. It's not the case. I try to be an example when I can. I try to help out anybody I can because that's what people did to me. They handed out their hand to me and walked me through the hardest parts of my life. I walked through my mom's cancer, bone cancer, brain cancer, lung cancer, lymphatic. It was the roughest two years of my life. In the beginning, I blamed them for everything they did or didn't do. I blamed all of you guys for everything that you did or didn't do, and I didn't take responsibility for what I had done. And the reality is all that time, I had a choice to make. I had a decision to make of whether I was gonna take that and be the worst human possible or, or possibly God put me down and crushed me because he anoints the ones that gets crushed the most. Bishop T.D. Jakes talks about an arrow and pulling back the arrow harder and harder to get it further and further. Just because you get crushed doesn't mean you're not going to go as far as you want to go. And Jesus, for me, that's true. The people that we reach in here, outside of here, are important. When you walk outside of here today, there's somebody you can help. We believe in here and out there. It's not so important what you do in here, but when you leave here, how you act when you leave here throughout the week, it's not just Sunday. It's not just for an hour for us. It's not for me anymore. You know, how I treat people, how my kids treat people, how my friends treat people, or why the people that are in here today are here. Uh, it's just such a powerful thing. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that I'm up here today. <clears throat> All right, so anyway, we can go on to the next slide, Ashley, to Ephesians. I wanna thank you guys for being here today. Please go with God where you are. Wherever that is, it's okay. And if you wanna learn more about it, talk to me afterwards. I'll be more than happy to help you out. On the back table on your way out, if you need a Bible, please take a Bible. They're free, no cost to you. We just want you to grow in your relationship. And if you want to know what that's about, you can talk to Heather, you can talk to Julie, you can talk to Elizabeth, Ashley, anybody that is here. Uh, we're more than happy to walk through that with you. Um, we have a go ahead and this will be the end of this series and we got another one coming next week. <clears throat> All right. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you know what his hope, calling, and purpose are for you and great things he has in store for you. Hey! We can go on to the next one. Okay, Lord, I thank you for bringing all these people in here today. 
Lord, please help us open up our heart, minds, and souls. We know that you are there. I look forward to our relationships and to our friendships. Thank you for taking care of our families and putting our hands together today. Please help us walk through our day and through our week and reach this community. There's definitely a need of your love in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to be here next Sunday, <clears throat> same time, 10 o'clock, Dusty will be back. Um, go with Jesus where you are and take care of your people and your community in faith and in love. I don't think there's ever been a time that we need each other more than today. Um, one minute, two minutes on the news and you know that everything's corrupt. I try not to get involved into politics, any of those things. It just makes me angry and hurt. I can't afford to be that person inside anymore. I don't want you to have to be in that hurt either. Please talk to somebody if you need help. Thank you so much for joining us today. It means more than you know to have you with us. And to all of you who partner with us and support the mission of our church, thank you. We cannot be the church without you. Go ahead and click the link in the description to partner with us now, or you can visit thegrovefc.com forward slash partner. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. This is how the gospel goes forward. Thanks again for being here today. God bless you.